Welcome back to the second part of this podcast with the Financial Integrity Network and Gail Fuller. Also joining again is Rob Goldfinger from BAE Systems Applied Intelligence. Uh, it, it's, it sounds like what um, you're uh, talking about is to really, the banks are going to have to have a really deep uh, 360 degree view uh, of their customer uh, more than they've ever had before. That some of the segmented uh, portions of the Know Your Customer program and and the reflective uh, viewing of their transactions and behaviors and how that's reflected with other people in their regions or in their in their peer groups, it it almost seems like that's going to have to go through a whole another uh, cycle of revalidating. Uh, what is appropriate behavior, what is not appropriate behavior. And part of the challenge that uh, I think you're identifying is what are some of the changes that compliance operations will have to go through to to gear back up their business in reflection of of the changed environment? You know, I was on uh, in a call the other day with a representative um, from a bank uh, talking about uh, verification of of their um, uh, some of the applicants on some of the programs that have been in, put in place uh, by the government here in the United States, and he he was just indicating that the, the great difficulty with that none of the their bank people can do any of the the site visits that normally would be done on businesses. Uh, as part of the due diligence for onboarding and accepting and um, okaying the uh, any sort of new uh, instrument that they were going to give, whether it's a loan or a new type of account. Uh, so if you could maybe uh, give some of your thoughts in terms of the shifting of the compliance operations as these financial institutions have to gear back up their businesses, I think that would be very uh, helpful. Yeah, I mean, I think you hit on a lot of really key challenges that the financial institutions are facing right now. And, you know, a lot of that comes down to the non-face-to-face, no-contact world we're in right now. And the concept of digital identity and how you verify someone's digital identity has been kind of a hot topic in the world for a while. Uh, The Financial Action Task Force just put out a paper about it recently. And that's something that's going to get a lot more attention. You know, how do we verify what a company is doing and how do we verify that people are who they say they are if we can't see them face-to-face, we can't visit their business sites. And so I think this is something that's super challenging, um, but I think there are a lot of new technologies coming on board that financial institutions are looking toward. Um, But it is going to require an overall kind of policies and procedures and approach, as you were saying, uh, because we're not going to be able to check the boxes that we used to like to check, or at least not check them in the same way as we have before. Right, and with uh, th- this is a very interesting point uh, that you make as the the financial institutions are going to have to uh, change quickly, and and flexibility and being agile and being ready for change uh, is going to be uh, quite a challenge um, as they're implementing these new new business ways, if you will, uh, the their, the technologies and systems that they have in place are 
what are going to continue, at least on the short term, to collect the data of the customer behavior um, as well as their their internal business processes. This is going to cause a great backlog in, in the data and the investigations because of what they're experiencing operationally. Um, can you talk a little bit about that, maybe some of your your vision about, or what you're seeing has been some of the reactions so far to how financial institutions are can address and are addressing uh, some of this backlog in terms of analysis of the data. Uh, you know, there are certain types of automated automation that is in place, but we all know that false positives have always been a big problem for financial institutions and uh, the, the the queuing and the routing to the investigators uh, that takes place, it just seems like those systems might be overwhelmed, especially in a situation where the employees that are doing that or the companies that are being outsourced to, to perform those tasks, they're just getting this immense amount uh, of data and, and flagging. Yeah, I mean, I think you're absolutely right to say that there's going to be huge backlog problems. It seems like some of the recent statements coming out of FinCEN are even acknowledging that that's just kind of going to be almost a fact of life. Um, but at the same time, compliance remains really important. So we do have to think about how we can get through those backlogs. And I think that, you know, some of the really important things to consider are um, how you triage and prioritize among the different compliance priorities, because there are sort of the day-to-day compliance things that we need to get through. We need to, you know, adjudicate our alerts, escalate, investigate, et cetera. But then there are the more sort of transformative initiatives or remediation initiatives to fix things that have been identified by audit that are more systemic problems. And, you know, there may be a need for banks to go into somewhat of like a survival mode. Um, to just dig out of the backlog for a while where they put those larger scale remediation issues to the side um, and focus instead on just the operational day-to-day stuff to dig out. Um, But that's not even possible for all banks because the complicating factor is if you're a bank that's operating under sort of a deferred prosecution agreement or a consent order or have a monitor in place, your obligations for those transformative changes remain the same. And so I think that's where you have to start thinking about calling in the cavalry, so to speak, um, bringing in third parties that can really help you work through these things. Um, you know, there was a statement a couple of years ago by the combined banking supervisors talking about shared compliance models, shared services models. And I think that conversation is going to really accelerate as we talk about how to break out of this backlog. So it, it, it almost sounds like, um, you know, leadership is going to really have to uh, take a look at themselves in the mirror and say, what, what have I, what have I or we've been doing as a leadership team and how are we going to shift in our leadership paradigm, uh, to meet up with the present and change, uh, demands of regulators, but also the, uh, demands on on our what is now a decentralized um, work, work team. Um, one thing, thing from where where I sit is I'm uh, interacting with uh, various uh, compliance and financial crimes 
leaders in the financial institutions is the advancing of digital payment systems uh, being utilized more and coming more online in the middle of this uh, pandemic. Um, can you uh, speak to how financial institutions are going to uh, address this very, very new and aggressive dynamic of digital payment systems and the utilization of them? Yeah, I mean, I think it gets back to the same things we were talking about with the third-party payment platforms before um, to a large extent where banks are just going to have to be figuring out ways to get more visibility into the payment chain or to put a lot more scrutiny on third-party payment processors when they're onboarding them as customers um, so that they can feel really confident in the compliance programs of those processors. You know, I, I think about this and, like, the intermediation risk in context of, like a recent experience that I had, which was, you know, I have really great timing, so I just bought a new house. And uh, it's a really great time for a big investment. Um, but, you know, I, I, my husband and I, we share household expenses and we kind of use PayPal to transfer money to one another. And when we were going through the mortgage underwriting process, I got a lot of questions about why I had these incoming PayPal messages in my account. And of course, as soon as they ask, it's, it's kind of easy to explain them. It's, oh, well, it's just, you know, household expenses. It's just payments between me and my husband. It's no big deal. Nothing actually suspicious or nefarious going on. But of course, they're kind of seeing payments like this and thinking, what is going on? Do you have a secret Etsy store? Do you have an undeclared source of income? What's happening here? So I think that really illustrates kind of the challenges that banks face with these platforms um, is that they can't really see what's truly going on in them. And so, you know, what I talked about before in terms of bringing them in-house um, so that you have both the benefit of the financial um, the financial and commercial benefits of it in addition to kind of the compliance benefits of it is, is a big piece. And then, you know, the know your customer piece and what you – the kind of due diligence you do when you're onboarding someone who's a payment processor or does digital payments. I think those are the really important pieces of it. Right. So it sounds like you've uh... – uh, you've just identified that for the people in in the financial institutions that are working this, it it, it almost uh, appears to me that there's going to have to be a lot of uh, on the spot uh, relearning and rethinking in terms of how they've handled things uh, and how weight and how some of these kind of uh, well tested uh, methods. For, for dealing with customer behavior are, are going to uh, be changing very, very quickly. And they have, they need to be educated and trained in a manner to say, this is kind of the way that it now has to be. Um, the situation has to be mitigated or this case has to be worked to still meet uh, the, the compliance and regulatory uh, goals of, of what the financial institution has to do. And, and your example of of getting a mortgage and my uh, uh, my thoughts are with you. Wow, uh, you know what a time to to go through that uh, mortgage application and the closing. And then uh, I can't imagine what you experienced if when you uh, had to move into your new uh, residence. So uh, my hats are off to you, um, uh, Gail. I do want to uh, pivot a little here. Uh, you mentioned it um, uh, back a few minutes ago about um, uh, fraud 
and about how that is going to uh, quite obviously this is a rich target environment uh, for the fraudsters, the bad guys and the people that have been involved in the historic problems that we in the industry have been, um, you know, working collectively to combat. Um, I think we know that in similar economic conditions, fraud has always risen as individuals try, try to uh, take advantage of the situations. What would you say are the major concerns at the moment for financial institutions and their clients that uh, they are serving? And what are some of the different ways that financial institutions may be able to uh, counteract uh, some of this fraud activity that I think we've seen all of the governments around the world and international uh, FIUs and law enforcement agencies um, identify as uh, getting ready to uh, uh, come around the block and, and evolve. Yeah, so fraud is definitely a huge issue right now, as it, as it is in any crisis. There just always seem to be bad actors who want to take advantage of the situation. Um, since then put out some good guidance that was helpful in mid-March, talking about some of the specific types of fraud to be on the lookout for in this context. Um, one they talked about was imposter scams, where illicit actors try to pose as someone else, probably someone you would trust, uh, to access your money one way or another. So posing as a charity, trying to solicit contributions, um, posing as a coworker to execute a phishing scam or install ransomware um, to, for example, I think we heard about a case where a hospital was subject to a ransomware attack, which is just really awful at a time like this. Um, so I think imposter scams are definitely a big piece of it um, and account takeover scams as well for bad actors who want to try to take over the accounts of particularly recipients of the government funds from the Paycheck Protection Program. Um, some of the other types of fraud scams are, you know, product scams, people pretending that they have a product that can help you survive and thrive in these hard times, but really just bilking you. And then basic sort of price gouging uh, by those that actually do have useful supplies. So these were some of the things that FinCEN has highlighted as fraud typologies to really be on the lookout for. Um, in terms of what financial institutions can do and what they need to be worried about, a lot of it is around the sort of vetting of applicants for the Paycheck Protection Program, and a lot of it is around their usual counter-fraud efforts. Um, because, again, these are not new typologies. Um, these are things that crop up in any sort of disaster situation, or like whether it be a pandemic or whether it be a hurricane. Um, and so I think really doubling down on the fraud detection scenarios that they have, but also ensuring that there's a robust connection between the anti-fraud and AML teams and operations. Like those have historically been siloed in some financial institutions. And, you know, that's never ideal, but in times like this, it's particularly important that they're collaborating actively. Those are great observations. Um, and in terms of the, uh, regulatory requirements. Do you, do you see any uh, impact or the that maybe this is a good time for financial institutions uh, to uh, take another look at uh, their SAR filing or STR filing 
uh, programs to make sure that they're in compliance, whether they need to revisit uh, some of the training or the way that they review some of these, what might be new experiences uh, that they're seeing? Yeah, and I think some of that will come out with kind of time in terms of lessons learned when some information sharing happens between banks and happens between banks and FinCEN or banks and their financial intelligence units about what typologies are really emerging. Um, but I do think this is a moment overall to really think about SAR filing um, because we know that defensive SARs have been a huge issue and a huge burden to compliance departments. And so to the extent that we can really improve those processes and be it through training and education of employees or other avenues to sort of reduce the number of defensive filings that are happening um, to reduce the burden and make it sort of easier to get rid of those backlogs that we were talking about. Uh, that, that That's some great uh, comments uh, pertaining to SAR and it almost seems like whenever um, we we do these kind of things uh, together. Uh, for some reason, always uh, the conversations we get towards the end, uh, the SARS always come up, right? Um, <laughs> yeah. We've gone over a, a lot today here in, in our little chat. Um, is there anything else uh, that you think, as we're wrapping up here, is important that um, to the people that are going to be viewing this podcast uh, to hear that we, we haven't covered? Uh, so far today. Um, thanks, Rob. I think we have covered a ton of ground today, and it's been a, it's been a great conversation. I think maybe two things that I'd want to leave as sort of closing thoughts. Um, one, that a lot of the trends and a lot of the challenges that we're talking about are not brand new. Um, they're just really being brought to the forefront even more um, by this crisis. So when we're talking about changes in the payment space, the importance of digital identity, the use of new technologies and outsourcing and managed services models uh, to bring efficiency to a, a challenging situation. Like These are all trends that were kind of already happening and that I know we've talked about a lot in the past. We're just seeing them become even more important uh, right at this moment. And then I think this, the second thing I wanted to leave as kind of a closing thought is we really focused on how financial institutions are grappling with this, but you know, I mentioned at the very beginning that that K2FIN works not just with financial institutions, but also with foreign jurisdictions and supervisors. And so I think it's important to say, of course, that supervisors are really facing a lot of these same challenges. Um, so FinCEN, of course, has been putting out guidance. It's been useful, but FinCEN's also dealing with this challenge of the new work from home environment, how to, how to grapple with that when there's sensitive information involved, things like that. So, and I think those were kind of the things that I wanted to just close on. Um, but thank you so much for having me and inviting me to be on the podcast. I've really appreciated it. And I think it's been a great conversation. I hope your listeners enjoy it as much as I have. Well, you know, I, I think the, uh, the pleasure has um, uh, been mine and the listeners that have had an opportunity to uh, now hear some of the very important issues uh, that you've addressed and also uh, just in closing, uh, you know, on behalf of the the greater financial crime fighting and compliance community, I just really want to thank um, you and the other members of the the K2 uh, FIN team 
uh, for everything that you're doing and that you, has been done in the, the past by you and the, and the leaders and founders of your, of your firm in terms of addressing these uh, very important uh, issues and the continuing uh, global uh, battle against um, anti-money laundering, fraud, uh, terror financing, uh, human trafficking, and I think the, the list can go on and on. So, Gail, once again, in closing, thank you very much uh, for your time and insights today. Uh, what you always have to say and contribute uh, specifically to uh, uh, risk rating uh, and how uh, the whole risk uh, mitigation programs must be a high priority of financial institutions. I think uh, the general banking community is 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 better because of what uh, you yourself have uh, created as an expert in that particular area. Uh, thank you once again. Thanks, Rob. There is a lot more that's going to come out of this, isn't there? I think there's a, a huge amount of um, opportunity, I think, for finance institutions, not just to improve their systems, but also to come out the other end as, as more robust institutions. That seems to be one of the sort of the, the throw out messages is caution, but there's also a little bit of opportunity there. Definitely. Gail, Rob, uh, thank you for both of your thoughts. Um, and many thanks for listening to the Intelligence Download. Don't forget to subscribe via iTunes, Google, Podbean, uh, or your favourite podcast app.